you're listening to this, you're a mortgage professional who's probably wanting to scale your business. After 12 years of being in the trenches as a mortgage pro and nearly 180 interviews with top-performing loan officers and mortgage brokers, I've distilled the best ideas, strategies, and tactics into an eight-week program called the $25 million Blueprint. If you're wanting to take your business from $10 million a year to 20, or if you want to go from 25 to 50, this is the program that will help you scale. Step by step, we're going to show you exactly what the pros have done so that you can get there too. Go to mortgageblueprint.io to find out more. That's mortgageblueprint.io. I Love Mortgage Brokering, episode 105. The only podcast for brokers by brokers. I Love Mortgage Brokering will inspire you to up your mortgage business. Join your host, Scott Peckford. Today on the show, I have Dan Poulter of TMG The Mortgage Group. Dan shares his experience as a broker. He started out in the lending space and then for the last five years has been a vice president at TMG. He is an active broker, but he also mentors brokers. So he has a unique perspective on what it takes to be a successful broker. Share some great advice on, on how useful it is to send handwritten notes and to send letters, sort of basically a, like a pattern interrupt in terms of connecting with brokers. And if you appreciated Dan and what he had to say, definitely reach out to him. I'm sure he would have no problem with it. Shoot him an email or message him on Facebook or LinkedIn and just share with him uh, that you learned something or that you appreciated his time. Also, I want to talk about the I Love Mortgage Brokering careers section of our site. So we created this for mortgage brokers who are looking at making a change or they want to look at their options. It allows you to go, you put in your postal code and it shows you brokerages that are currently recruiting in your area. One of the things I found is that uh, to me, a brokerage is a very personal decision where you decide to hang your license is uh, personal, but there wasn't a really easy way to compare one brokerage to the next. And the idea came really when I was shopping for a car with my wife and we saw this sticker that was in the window and it showed mileage and engine size and basically talked about you could compare one brand of car to the next and ultimately it's going to come down to what's the right fit it's not just with the sticker in the window but in the broker space there isn't an easy way to compare one brokerage to the next and so the island mortgage brokering careers section allows a broker to look and decide okay you know what which company that they have offices in my area which lenders do they have status with and to be able to make uh, an informed decision on where they should go. So check it out, I love mortgage brokering slash careers, and check out this interview with Dan. Hi, Broker Nation. I'm introduced my guest today, Dan Poulter. Dan is a mortgage broker for 10 years. He's the vice president of BC with TMG, the mortgage group. He's also the director of BC for Mortgage Professionals Canada. He's a very active guy in the broker community, and he's also the communications committee and the BC chapter chair. Dan, I'm stoked for this interview today. You ready to rock? I'm ready to rock. So can you tell me how you got into the mortgage business? Because most little kids in kindergarten don't say, I want to be a mortgage broker when I grow up. So what was your path into our business? Yeah, I I guess a, a short-ish story, but uh, I moved to Vancouver from Victoria and actually wanted to be a stockbroker, which if you look at it, it's maybe not too dissimilar, but I actually didn't even know what a stockbroker was or does or anything, but that's what I wanted to do and had in my mind. I uh, came over to Vancouver. I started temping. Ended up with a job at BC Hydro, realized really, really quickly that uh, I didn't want to work there, primarily because I didn't want to work in an establishment where lack of effort and motivation were, were rewarded and encouraged. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, so a friend of mine who's uh, still in the industry, an uh, individual by the name of Darcy Doyle, he had uh, worked for a company called Accredited Home Lenders. And Accredited Home Lenders was a subprime lender that actually started in the United States and then and moved to Canada. And he said, hey, I don't know what your plans are, but why don't you give this a shot? They train you well. They teach you a lot about the mortgage business. You might make some good money. You never know. And worst case scenario, you could become a broker and come work with me in the future if you so chose. I took him up on the offer. I went and worked for Accredited for, I think it was about two years uh, before we were impacted by the global financial crisis. And I like to joke and say that I was part of the problem. Uh, you know, sub, subprime was something that uh, was, a, it was a major issue in, in the U.S. We never got quite as crazy as, as the U.S. and Canada. But a lot of the stuff that we did, if I looking back now, I just didn't know better. And you look at it and you go, I'm not sure that that would make sense today and in, in today's market. Uh, then spent just shy of four years with a company called Macquarie Financial. They eventually sold their business because they were more interested in, in building bridges and uh, toll roads because it was just more rewarding or financially rewarding business. And at the time, I had an opportunity to to really look at what I had been doing and potentially uh, move from there. And that's when I, I got a phone call from uh, one of the owners of the mortgage group, which is Grant Thomas, said, hey, I don't know what you're up to, but why don't we have a conversation and see if we could work together? And so the rest is kind of history from there as it relates to getting into the mortgage group and the industry. And I've made a lot of friends and the industry has been really good to me. And so I'm happy to to now take time and give back through this podcast and a number of other initiatives that I'm getting involved in. So what is your role specifically at TMG? So at TMG, I'm vice president of British Columbia. In a nutshell, what that means is that uh, I oversee BC for us as it relates to compliance, recruiting, management of our lender relationships, pretty much anything in a nutshell that comes under BC I'm involved in. We're currently just building a couple of offices. And so I oversee you know, the direction as it relates to that. I also take an active role in some of our national initiatives, whether it has to do with lenders or marketing initiatives or what have you. And so that as well. And then, of course, I'm a broker. So I still love working with clients because it's very rewarding and it's, it's a little bit of a change of pace. Also, it really gives me a really good understanding of, one, the pains that my team goes through and really understand one, how to build a, a mortgage business, because that is probably the most frustrating thing for new people in the industry. And, and secondly, is the pains that they feel when they're dealing with lenders or dealing with realtors or dealing with lawyers and how we can do things and put systems in place to alleviate some of that. Right. That's good. Before we dive into the rest of your story, I want to ask about a success quote. I love how quotes are portable. They're memorable. Yeah, You can use them to kind of keep you on track. So do you have a quote that's really had an impact on your business or your life? Well, you know what, for me, the first quote I really can attest to, and, and you speak with any of my friends, they'd, they'd know this quote from me, but it actually came from a story I had when I was at Accredited Home Lenders, and it, it was essentially day one, and we were at a meeting, and there was a bunch of people, I think there's about a 80 of us in a room, and we were having a training seminar, and somebody put up their hand and said, you know, that's a really nice pen you have there, and I believe it was the marketing guy talking about it, said, you know, can I have one? And it was just a branded pen. It wasn't like he was asking for, um, you know, his unborn child or anything, but it was, it was just kind of this odd request. Anyways, this individual who was the head of marketing came back about, I would say four hours later and made this huge 
you know, sort of big deal about the fact that this person not only asked for a pen, but that he actually then brought him the pen. And his quote was, no one will ever give you anything if you don't ask for it. And I kind of live by that mantra. And I teach that mantra when I'm talking to new people in the industry or other people that are looking to grow their business. Because if you don't ask for business, or if you don't ask for something, there's nothing you can do that you just don't even have an opportunity. And so I think that a lot of people fail because they just don't have the confidence to ask for something. And I'm not saying ask and be obnoxious. I'm saying ask with confidence, be polite, be a professional. But if you ask for something, you got a good chance of at least a 50-50 chance of something happening that will help you. Right. Okay. I have a, so can you think of an example of something that you asked for but you, and you were actually surprised that you got? The, the number one thing I, I say every day is really like if you have a relationship with a realtor and it's not going somewhere and I've had those, is to, you know, I can just, you just go to them and say, look, you've never sent me a deal. You know, you're either going to send me a deal in the next three months or, I, you know what, I'm just not going to spend any more time with you. And I would say the times that I've done that and the number of realtors that I've done that with, I have never had a negative response with that. So I just think that if you handle yourself professionally, you'll be fine. Right. So you would actually go to a realtor who has not been that you're in a relationship with, but it's not been some, you know, you and I were working together and you'd say to them, Hey, straight up, you'd ask them. Yeah. You essentially, if they haven't sent you a deal, you've got nothing to lose. Right. You've already got no. So yeah. <laughs> my six-year-old has got this down, by the way, if you have kids, like, I mean, my gosh, they, they know how to ask for everything and repeatedly. <laughs> well, I mean, that's the perfect example, right? Kids, kids will ask for anything. And yes, sometimes you say no, but sometimes you say yes. But if they never ask, they never get. Right. That's really good. That's a good, good life lesson. So I want to ask you about failure. I know that as an entrepreneur, business owner, mortgage broker, failure happens, but it's never fatal. And looking back, there's always a lesson. So can you share something that you had failed at, but now that you look back, there was a lesson for you? You know, failures are interesting. I don't really do. I don't really take the time to focus on them. You know, there's all sorts of quotes out there about failures or just learnings. And that's kind of what I subscribe to. So yes, I totally have made mistakes and changed things over the over time, but I don't really dwell on it. The number one thing that I would say where I've, you know, say failed is different marketing initiatives that you, you think are a great idea. And, you know, you get pitched by the, uh, somebody that's come up with this wonderful idea that sounds really interesting. And then, you, you know, you kind of buy into it. Anybody that's done any sort of like print marketing or anything like that realizes how expensive it is and, and, and how long you have to do it for, even if it is expensive. For me, what I learned from that is just that you have to ask a lot of questions when you're gonna when before you cut a check for any sort of initiative that is supposed to drive your business. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, I think it was on your blog actually that, uh, or blog, I should say, your Facebook group, where there was the the conversation about uh, what is it, Rogers? Um, what do they call that program? Outrank. I can't even count the amount of times people have asked me about that program. And I said, look, just look at the program, ask the questions, find out what it's about. I did the exact same thing. I asked all the questions. And what I realized in that particular program is you can replicate everything that they're doing for you. They just have a salesperson selling you on it for way cheaper than they would ever do. And Mm -hmm. I mean, it's just ask a lot of questions because you don't know what you don't know. And until you ask you know, a multitude of questions and just keep digging deeper, go, you know, go down the rabbit hole, so to speak, you will then eventually uncover whether or not it's something that will work for you. And I'd say, you know, marketing initiatives are one of those where I can say that 
I uh, have had times where I didn't ask enough questions and I won't be fooled again. Mm-hmm. Totally agree. And and actually, Rogers Outrank didn't do fare so well when people jumped in and shared their experience. So the one cool thing about crowdsourcing is the ability for uh, you to kind of learn from other people's experience, right? That's awesome. Well, that's not awesome, but yeah, anyway, it's good that someone avoided potentially something that was probably not going to work. So I want to ask about systems and processes because obviously if you are, you know, in your role, you're, it's something that you're helping develop and trying to make and, and the fact that you're an active mortgage broker as well. So can you share something maybe that um, you had recognized that, hey, this is a bit frustrating for brokers and this is frustrating for me and it must be frustrating for the for the rest of the team. So man, like a change that you made to try to solve that? I'll say first and foremost, I'm a tester. I'll try out different programs. I'll ask a lot of questions, uh, listen to some podcasts, read, read a few things on sort of what's the, the best program. You know, CRM, I've I've looked at and, and tried uh, a multitude of different solutions that are out there. I, I kind of believe in the sort of keep it simple, stupid, mm-hmm. because the reality is, is that we're so busy in our business that you kind of have to have a fairly simplified approach to it. Because if there's too many tasks to do that are going like too many tasks to essentially make you more efficient, you're going to eventually stop doing a lot of those tasks because you're spending so much time trying to help, you know, improve your system, so to speak. And I think if you make too many changes, it also causes an issue uh, with your business. One of the things that I think is really important and again, simple is Mm -hmm. having email templates because it's all about systems when you're talking with clients. And it was funny, uh, there was a, a program that we did with actually a company called Algario that talked about this idea of, you know, sort of funneling people into your process. And what happens a lot of times is you get a client that comes to you and they immediately are, you know, j- just start talking to you about rate, start talking to you about what they need. And the reality is, is they don't know what they don't know. If you allow the client to continue how they want to go and you adapt sort of to them, you're now allowing them to dictate your process and system. Now, if you now move them back, and I'm not saying, you know, cut your client off and and don't allow them to share the things that they need with you, but you have to have a system and process that brings them back to your system and process that you know that is tried, tested, and true. So have the email templates, have the conversation uh, scripting. So, you know, when they finish their dialogue to say, you know, to talk about what they need, you know, sit there taking notes and then say, look, I got a bunch of questions that I'm going to ask you. Is that okay? And they'll, most people will agree. And then you can now bring them into your process dictate how it's going to flow. And this can, this can translate into, into brokering. This can translate into anything that you're doing. And once you're in that process, you now are much more efficient. And then, you know, if you have the email templates, if you've got your birthday reminders, if you've got all that stuff, now you can implement all of that because now it's following that process. I'm sure that you've had clients that you've dealt with where you kind of feel like you're a little bit health or skeleton. Mm-hmm. And you're, you're you're like, man, I just can't really stay on top of this. And it's not because of you. It's because the client is going all different ways, which means that in theory, it's actually your fault that you're allowing the client to to operate in that way. You have to take control. Mm-hmm. Totally. We talk about it in our office all the time about who's driving the bus. 
because yeah. the clients are drive. If you let the client drive, they're going when they crash, they're going to blame it on you anyway. So it's like you either have to drive the bus and then say, look, I'm, I want to help you. I'll get you where you want to go. But you have to, if you're not driving the bus, then it's an awful uh, position to be in. And I've had situations where I've literally had clients that don't want to follow the process. And it's like, ding, I'll, I'll stop the bus and be like, okay, I'll let you off at the next stop. You know, it's okay. You can, I'm sure you'll find somebody that can help you, but we're not the right fit. And because I know that if I let them drive, it's going to likely end in some kind of a catastrophe or mess that I have to pick up the pieces. And then I still look like a bad guy, no matter what. Absolutely. And you know what, I had this, I had the, another life lesson of this. And again, it was something new for me is, uh, you know, we were uh, building an office and we had a project manager kind of managing the project, but I wasn't me personally. And my wife, who actually is a project manager on, on commercial properties, he was, you know, looking at me going, you have to just allow them to do the process. You can't be stepping in here and there. And I understand that I, you know, I was new and I had lots of questions. And the reality is, is that I needed to be more controlled in that process so that I could just allow them and trust them to follow through. And it all turned out fine and dandy. And I'm super happy with the end result. But it was kind of that same thing where if you don't dictate the process, then you may not fully have your client's confidence because they're asking a lot of questions throughout. And you have to say, look, things are going to happen. Things are going to, you know, I'm going to only advise you on the things that are most pertinent because I want to resolve those things before they even get to you. Right. Yeah. And that's why you hire them ultimately through a project manager is to, for them to do that stuff. You're the, as the mortgage broker, you're the, you're the project manager, right? Mm -hmm. For the file. So I want to ask you about sales and marketing. So you touched on this earlier about trying some different things. So can you share uh, sales or a marketing process that you've used in your business and um, maybe that didn't work as well as you'd like, and then a change that you made, the outcome you got? It's interesting because, you know, there's all these reports that say that there's about, you know, a required six or seven touches per year that are not required, I should say, but what clients would like. And so I think it's really important, first of all, that you automate things. So have that one or two touches that are just set for you. Like you don't have to think about it. Secondly, uh, that I think is important is that you need to have some sort of uh, reminder mechanism, whether it's an email telling you about birthdays, a system that you can go into that tells you about your renewals, whatever it is, you know, like I, I'm a to-do list kind of individual. So I use a, uh, a, an app called Todoist. Mm -hmm. And with that, it's just, I just need a reminder that I need to pick up the phone or send a text message or what have you to that individual to say, Hey, it's thinking about you. Hey, I've got some questions for you. Hey, you know, your mortgage is coming up for renewal because it's all about the personal touch. It's not about the fact that you sent out 50 different emails to this individual and then eventually they picked one. I, I personally think that you have to send emails on a regular basis uh, just so that you're front and center on a semi-regular basis with your clients. But it's all about whether or not you had a conversation with them. And so for the sort of the learning or the, the marketing system that we've implemented, you know, we've done direct mailers. And frankly speaking, it's a complete waste of time. Mm -hmm. What I think is actually changing, though, is, is people like getting mail that's directed to them. We have so much email. There's so much noise in our email inbox. There's programs that are trying to actually eliminate the use of email, whether it's Slack or what have you. And the reality is, is that people, are, there's just too much crap in your email inbox. So mm -hmm. if I get a letter that's personally addressed to me, I'm probably going to open it. So if you want to do any sort of marketing initiatives, Make sure you're able to get 
not only the address <laughs> that you're going to send it to, but also the name of the individual that's there and send a personalized letter. And I'm not saying personalized that you need to write a story to that individual. I'm saying that it's actually addressed to them because if you want them to open it, there's a much higher likelihood of that than just trying to come up with the best marketing piece that is in their junk mail, whether it's in their email junk mail or their, their mailbox, which again, I still believe that snail mail right now is actually becoming more valuable. It'll make a research. Um, so how often then on the mail, uh, like the, how often are you sending something out to your database? Minimum is, is the, from a, a snail mail perspective is a, is a once a year type thing. Mm-hmm. I, I would say probably, probably quarterly would be sufficient. But, uh, you know, if it just it just really depends on, again, what your budget is, what you're what you're trying to achieve. And also you have to understand what you are trying to achieve in that goal. I mean, I have an interesting story. It's actually not mine personally, but I, my investment advisor is a, a friend of mine, which I didn't know in the in the business of investment advising. But you they chase uh, lottery winners. And this particular individual hand wrote a letter to a, a lottery winner and this lottery winner received. I can't remember the number, let's say like a hundred different uh, solicitations from via email, via, uh, uh, you know, mass mails that were like, Hey, I heard you won the lottery. Here's how I can help you out. But he didn't receive one handwritten letter. And because of that handwritten letter, he decided, Hey, I'm going to give this guy a shot. So uh, I know a lot of people do uh, thank you cards, handwritten things. I can't stress enough that personalized hand- handwritten is the next step beyond just making sure that you're personalized and you've got the person's name on the uh, marketing piece and it's on an envelope and it's a letter and what have you. Mm -hmm. No, totally. So can you think of like, what's the most recent example of something that you've sent out, whether it's like in a snail mail capacity that did you send out like a hand, you sent out handwritten notes? Was it, or was it like a, a letter that was like, Hey, it's spring and or not spring. It's, it's for me, like the most recent would be just a thank you card to a client, handwritten, I either I either snail mail it or I hand deliver it, and usually it's got you know some sort of thank you in it, you know, in the the words, something personalized to them. So whether it's a, a gift card for their favorite restaurant or something that's new to the area that they've moved into, sometimes I make it personal to me. Uh, our family likes champagne, so you know I may say, hey, here's a bottle of champagne. That would obviously be on a hand delivery as opposed to something that I put in the mail, but that's the kind of thing. And I've had people send me books. That's, a, that's another great uh, initiative that I've seen in our industry, not so much that I've seen this with clients, but people are, are sending books. And last time I saw anybody throw away a book, I, I don't know. Yeah, I know. It's powerful. So how do you run? You've got you have a you, you broker, you run your vice president for TMG, you're on a bunch of boards, you're kind of run, helping the broker community. So how do you balance that and your family? What advice do you have for somebody who feels like they're maybe, you know, going in five or six different directions? For me, and again, I, I tested a, a bunch of different tools. I, I landed on two tools, uh, Todoist and Evernote. So Evernote, for those that don't know, for me at least, is just a, it's an it's a note taking system. But for me, it's really just a repository of information that I can retrieve at a different time. It's flexible, so I can make different lists and I can attach images and that kind of stuff to it. And the Todoist is essentially a to do list, but it's a little bit more powerful than that, where you can categorize based on projects. Obviously, you can set reminders and you can set like a a repeating event and that kind of stuff, which is similar to what you would do in an Outlook. Mm -hmm. But a lot of the reading that I did when it came to being more efficient 
is that your to-do lists and sort of your task-oriented programs actually need to be separate from your email. And right. a lot of people are get, trying you, to Otherwise you get this. sucked back into email. Mm-hmm. <laughs> At least I do. Because something comes up that you think is important, and it may not be, but you now have taken away from what you're focused on, which is putting out uh, a bunch of tasks. And there's you know a book that uh, subscribes to this, which is I think it's called Eat the Frog, which I've read, which is just essentially you know focus on your most important tasks first thing in the morning. One, it creates all sorts of endorphins in you for achieving something, but also you're not distracted. You're just, you're just focused on doing tasks. Mm-hmm. That's really yeah, so good. That, that helps me balance. Obviously I, I subscribe to the idea that you have to have everything available on all your different devices. So if I'm on my computer, I'm able to work. If I'm on my phone, I'm able to work. I've got a great team of people that I work with that help me. So if I'm stuck, I've got great resources to be able to pick up and, and, uh, and run with it. And so that obviously is really important. Surround yourself with great people that can support you when you're, when you're essentially in the weeds, but balancing of time, uh, sometimes I don't do the greatest job of that and I wish I did it better. And that's something that I've been focusing on. Mm -hmm. Definitely. It's a challenge, especially with our busy market right now. Oh, absolutely. Right now. I mean, for the past, I would say 12 months, it's kind of been, or maybe it's even longer than that. uh, I can say that it's been, it's been very difficult to find that balance. Mm-hmm. So I'm gonna I'll move to the rapid fire questions. So you can answer these with shorter answers if you like. So what is the number one thing holding back most mortgage brokers from being successful? Uh, simply, they don't network enough. They become fearful of getting out there and asking for the business, as we talked about earlier. And that is uh, that is the number one thing. Right. It's, it's really the lack of networking. They don't get out there. You can be the best mortgage broker at doing and placing mortgages in the entire industry. But if you're a terrible networker, it does not matter. Mm-hmm. That's right. You have no, no, you have no business. So what do you think? What one thing or habit you think has made you successful? Probably that I focus on developing relationships. I think that at the end of the day, my success has been because of the relationships that I developed within our industry, whether it's, being able to find an, a, a new job to, to work in when I've uh, had companies that have either suffered losses because of the global financial crisis or have decided to be sold and you're looking for other opportunities, or it has to do with realtors or financial planners or what have you that you're working with, or if you're trying to achieve a goal and let's say maybe something charitable, well, you need to have some relationships that you can leverage to get there. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so having a focus on developing strong relationships has been really important for me, but it's also been very influential to help me grow in this business. Right. Um, you'd mentioned that Evernote and Todoist are two applications you use. Do you have a book that you would, could recommend? Well, I think for most people, if you haven't read the seven habits of highly effective people, I think that's uh, a valuable one. I honestly am not the hugest of readers, probably by saying the word hugest, you can tell that I'm not, but uh, I, I do from time to time listen to podcasts and, and that kind of thing more for entertainment purposes. I'm a learn by do kind of individual. So I would rather, you know, get to work and try something out and potentially fail or learn as I, as, as I said earlier, than to, to read it in a book. Right. Not theory, just actually try it and, and see how it works and feels. Absolutely. Because a lot, a lot of the people that have built our industry did it by just trying something new and, and 
challenging the status quo as opposed to reading a book that said, here's how you build the mortgage industry in Canada. Mm -hmm. So it's the last question. One of my favorites, the DeLorean. Remember the movie Back to the Future? Absolutely. So there's the car. If, you could, if I could put you in the car and I could send you back to when you started, I guess I'd probably, you have two dates. We could either go back five years ago when you got in, into the mortgage space directly, or I'd say if you went back five years, because that's kind of like your, what you've been doing. So if you could go back to when you were, what, what advice would you give yourself so that you'd have a better, bigger business today? Probably, probably for me right now uh, is focus on that balance early because it, uh, if you don't, then you will eventually, it will eventually dominate you. And then you're going to be trying to kind of continue to find that work-life balance. And I think a, a lot of our very successful people in our industry, at least at the beginning, don't have very good life work-life balance. Mm -hmm. And then they're striving to get it later. So if you can enforce it early, then it will uh, help you in the long run. The other thing you could tell yourself is buy as much Vancouver real estate as possible and hold on for dear life. <laughs> oh, no kidding. kidding. No kidding. <laughs> Yeah, like five years ago, I'd be like, dang, I would just be like, I'll buy and hold on and be like, okay, let's just wait for this sucker to go. Um, but, <laughs> <laughs> I, well, and assumingly, as long as you don't live here, because anybody that lives here, I mean, everybody talks about all these profits that you make, but the reality is if you don't live here, the only value is if you choose to move out of Vancouver. Mm -hmm. Right. Awesome. Well, hey, and so where can people find you online? Uh, find me online. I'm a super personable guy, so I'd prefer that you just reach out to me. You can either find me at dan at mortgagegroup.com. You can call me on my cell phone, 604-619-1567. Uh, I'm on Facebook. I'm on Twitter, which I kind of, for me, is uh, kind of going by the way of the dodo bird. But uh, Or you can find me on LinkedIn or even, I mean, you can find me in your group as well. Okay, awesome. And are you guys hiring? Always. We're always looking for good people. We're not somebody that just hires anybody. But if uh, I think that you have a high likelihood of success and I can mentor you to, to become a successful broker, then by all means. Awesome. Well, if anybody listening can check out links to this, everything that we've talked about, as well as links to Dan at IloveMortgageBrokering.com. I really appreciate your time today, Dan, and I hope you and TMG continue to crush it. Awesome. Thanks so much for your time. Thanks for tuning into the I Love Mortgage Brokering podcast. Subscribe on iTunes so you never miss an episode. Also, if you take two minutes to rate the show, you will get three new deals before the end of the week. How do I know this? Actually, I don't know, but we'd really appreciate if you took some time to write an honest review. It would help us out a lot. Also, if you go to ilovemortgagebrokering.com, you can join our VIP club for mortgage brokers, and we send tips and tricks, stuff that doesn't get shared on the show. Sometimes some of the best ideas come when the recorder's turned off. If you want to get access to that stuff, visit ilovemortgagebrokering.com and get on the list.